Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Take up your Bibles. May we hear from the living God. And turn, we're going to have two readings now. Uh, first one from Matthew chapter 28. It's on page 835, or if you've got one of the blue large prints, it's 993. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 to 20. The famous words of Jesus after his resurrection as he meets with his uh, disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Would you please turn as well to uh, Genesis chapter 17. So I should have mentioned David will be preaching later uh, on the question, what is uh, baptism? Which is why we've got a a number of readings uh, this evening. Genesis chapter 17. So that's on page 11 or page 14 in the large print. Genesis 17, reading verses 1 to 14. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said, said to Abraham, as for you, You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
It should be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it should be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any, circ- sorry, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. These are God's words to us. Several years ago, uh, there was a song in the charts by an artist called Jess Glynn. Uh, don't worry if you've never heard of Jess Glynn. Some of you are smiling. You've heard of her. Some of you haven't. I've never heard of her. Jess Glynn is one of these people that now appears on my phone, uh, courtesy of my children. When I try to listen to music, I find all sorts of strange things popping up. People I've never heard of, songs I've never heard of. Sometimes I listen to them. And this is what Jess Glynn sang about. She said this, or she sang this, I won't wear makeup on Thursday. I'm sick of covering up. I'm tired of feeling so broken. I'm tired of falling in love. Don't want these tears inside my eyes. I want to feel love inside my hands again. I just want to feel beautiful. Now, like I say, Jess Glynn may not be your taste in music. Uh, You may not choose her particular way with words. But Jess Glynn is singing, isn't she, about the ache that we all feel and the ache that we all know. Here's the way I would put it. The ache to know and to feel clean on the inside. That's the way that longing comes out in her particular form. The longing to be whole the longing to be beautiful. We would love it, wouldn't we, all of us? We would love it if sometimes the things that we touched didn't get damaged or broken or spoiled. We'd love it, wouldn't we, if the relationships that we entered didn't break. And we would love it if we never, ever felt dirty. I think in our day and age, outward dirtiness Outward uncleanness, it's something we don't really feel that much anymore, is it? Many of us. Uh, We live in such a clean place. We live in such a clean part of the world, in such a clean time in world history for our part of the world. But of course, many people today don't have the access to cleanliness, do they, that we have? And we only need to go, what? Well, I wonder what the threshold is. Two days without a shower? One day without a shower? Three days? I wonder where your yuck is factor is probably different, isn't it, uh, between us? How far would you go without a shower? The, the Bible says that that outward yuck feeling that we all know wherever, wherever we place it, that outward yuck feeling is an inward reality for all of us. We are dirty. The Bible also says to us, because that's what we are like, what if What if in this world in which we live, there is one perfect person who is completely beautiful, unsullied, untainted, unspoiled, unbroken? Both those things are true, friends, this evening. Left to ourselves, inside we are dirty. 
And yet God has given us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ one person who is not like us. Perfectly clean, spotless, never, never feeling that inward taint of corruption. I want to make a very simple statement as we spend two Sunday evenings, this evening and next Sunday, looking at baptism and thinking about this thing. I guess we're all familiar with, we've all seen it, perhaps in different forms, in churches, uh, whether you've seen it, uh, a baby being baptized, an infant being baptized, whether you're more familiar with full immersion, somebody going right under the water, you've seen that done in a church, in a tank, or in the sea, in a river, Baptism is one of those things that just happens in churches, doesn't it, in different forms. And we don't often stop to think, what is it saying to us? Why is it there? Why has God given it to us? I want to make a very simple statement over both Sunday evenings, try and explain it and defend it to you, and it's this. Baptism is there to show us that part of being friends with God, belonging to God, part of being friends with Him is being washed by Him. That's why baptism is a sacrament with water. Baptism is about how God takes the life of the one perfectly clean person in the world, the Lord Jesus. Baptism is about how God takes his perfect life and makes you and I share in that life. Baptism is part of how God gives us that life. Baptism is a token of it, a a sign of it, a seal of it, that the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ really, really has become my life. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 13? Unless I wash you, you have no share in me. Amazing, isn't it? Unless I wash you, you cannot belong to me. I've never had the privilege, but I know of several preachers who who had had the privilege of going to preach to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth when she was up here, her summer residence at Balmoral Castle. Different ministers invited at different times to preach to her, to the royal family on a Sunday. And as part of that, they spend the whole weekend with Her Majesty and her family in Balmoral Castle. I'm told that the entire thing works like clockwork. You get a letter inviting you. You accept the invitation. You were told to be at this particular place at this exact moment. And right on cue, somebody arrives, takes your bag, and you are ushered into the presence of the royal family. Several people have told me that one of the most remarkable things about it is that after the first evening, when the preacher goes to their room, and of course they discover themselves in this grandest of settings, this most astonishing room, as they search for their bag and all their items of clothing that they've brought with them, they discover every single piece of clothing wrapped in tissue paper placed inside a drawer. And every single preacher has said to me, that is not normal. (laughs) In other words, that, that that is not what we do at home. It's not how I find my clothes day by day. I guess you don't either. If you want to be friends with the queen. This is how we do things here, she's saying to you. You you will be clean coming to dinner. This is the way it works within the walls of my home. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, no share in me. 
So I want this evening to give us three snapshots, three pictures of what baptism means in the Bible, three different pictures from different parts of the Bible to help us cherish and love every single time we see a baptism and to help you this evening cherish and love your baptism. Baptism is what we call a means of grace. It's how God gives himself to us. Means of grace, prayer, preaching, baptism, communion, the Lord's Supper. Four, four, four places, four means of grace where God has promised in these places you will always find me. I will always be there. You know, it, it could be this evening, friends, in a room like this, uh, looking out on you this evening, that some of us are looking for God. And God seems distant to us, distant to you. He seems far off and you would love to find him. He seems absent, out of, out of sight, out of reach, out of touch. God has given us four things, prayer, preaching, baptism, communion, that they are each paths that we can walk. And as we walk along those paths, God has promised we will find his blessing in them. So I want us to see what happens when we look uh, at each of, these, each of these different snapshots this evening about baptism. This is where God has promised to show himself to us and to pour out his grace upon us. Three things. Number one, here's the first thing to say about baptism. And I, I think in each of them, I want to try and just shift your mindset, perhaps a little bit. If you've always seen, if baptism is familiar to you as beans on toast, you've seen it all the time, all through your life. I want to to try and show you the richness of some of what is happening in these passages that we read. I'm going to read a couple of other passages. I'm going to ask you to have your Bibles open, perhaps a little bit more dotting around than we often do. But here's number one. Baptism is God's adoption policy. Baptism is God's adoption policy. It is a naming ceremony. Baptism is a naming ceremony. I wonder if you've ever thought that, whether you see an infant baptism, like we do here, a family stand on the platform, a little one stands here, and then the family, the baptism takes place and they leave back down the steps, or you see a, an adult baptism or a, a teenager's baptism, they enter the tank of the water, they come up and they leave and go back to their seat. The, the Bible says that when that person steps up onto the stage and then leaves the stage or leaves the platform, leaves the water, whatever it is, they leave with a new name. God has renamed them. So just open the first passage, Matthew chapter 28, and have a look at it again. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I wonder if you know that in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew begins his account of Jesus' ministry in chapter 3 with Jesus' own baptism, and he finishes Jesus' ministry with Jesus' words about baptism. His ministry begins and ends with this washing. Look here in these verses how the Lord Jesus himself says, 
that baptism is actually meant to be right at the heart of what any church family is all about, right at the heart of what Trinity is about this evening. As one church family in one part of God's world, go and make disciples doing two things, baptizing them and teaching them. I don't know know if you'd agree, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that baptism is not really a part of how we do evangelism today. Wouldn't you agree? It's not part of Christianity Explored. It's not part of Alpha. It's not part of the way that we often talk to others about, uh, about our life in the local church. You know, imagine it at work. A friend says to you, so you, you, you're a Christian. W- what's it all about? Tell me about it. Uh, well, you say I had water poured on my head when I was a baby or I was immersed in water as a teenager or as an adult. I suspect most of you, if you've ever answered that question, what does it mean to be a Christian, have not included your contact with water as part of it. No, we don't tend to do that. Yet look what Jesus says here. You make disciples by baptizing the nations. So how does that work? Well, just look really closely at the words in verse 19. Here's why baptism is God's adoption policy. Go to every ethnic group and every race. And look, verse 19, when you baptize them, you put them into something. Uh, The version I'm using has a little footnote number two beside in. I think you have a number four. Is that right in in the Black Church Bibles? Beside that little word in, in verse 19, is a little footnote. If you look down to the bottom, that little word in is literally into you, you are putting these people into something. Put them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is adoption. When you're taken from where you are and you are put into another name, that's adoption. It's the wonder of adoption, isn't it? The joy of adoption. So just imagine with me little Sophie, picture in your mind's eye sitting here on the the step on the platform, little Sophie, age three, she's all alone, she's been separated from her birth parents, and along come the loving couple who have completed all the adoption procedures, they've met all the standards and been through all the hoops, they've passed all the criteria, fulfilled it all, and there they are in the office and they're told that little Sophie is next door and they're about to take her home for the very first time. Just one last piece of paperwork to sign and all will be done. And then the social worker says to the new mum and dad, now, just hang on a second, one small issue. When you adopt Sophie, although your surname is Jones, Sophie's is Smith. And so when you adopt her and she lives in your house for the rest of her life, she will always be called Sophie Smith. Is that okay? What, what do the new parents say at that point? No. No, hang on a second. That, 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 that's not okay. No, when we adopt her and she comes into our home and becomes part of our family, she will receive our family name. She will belong to us that completely, that fully. Check the law, the parents say again to the social worker. I think you'll find it's on our side, not yours. To be be put into the name of another person. 
It's the kind of thing you just hear all the time at a baptism. It's always what happens without it just sinking down deep into our hearts. The wonder of it to be put into the name of another person is to be adopted by them. And here is the name of the baptized person. Here is the name they always carry with them for the rest of their days. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a naming ceremony. It is the most beautiful thing. Those of you who are parents, there was a moment, wasn't there, where as a new parent, you took your child to the registry office, or maybe you didn't take, maybe you didn't take the child, you didn't have to take them, but you just went yourself to the registry office. You took all the relevant paperwork. And there is that moment, isn't there? You hear all these famous stories where the couple, the couple say, we're going to call our baby I don't know, Samantha, and the dad just changes his mind in the registry office and names the baby Susan or something like that. And that's it for life. There are these moments, aren't there, where you stand in the registry office and the, the, the person behind the desk says, name, please. And as the parent speaks words, a child, a human being is taken and is legally, formally, completely, for the rest of their lives, placed into a family name. What we do in baptism, friends, is even even more wonderful, whether it's an infant or an adult, whatever form in which it happens, it is astonishingly beautiful. In baptism, we say, name, please. Who do you belong to? Who are the people We say to the person being baptized, from this moment onwards, who are the people responsible for your care? Answer, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Every single time it happens here at Trinity, a child being baptized, a new believer, an adult being baptized, they leave having received a new name. See, in a home, in any ordinary home, a father can sit round the dinner table or lie on the bed at night with his kids and a dad can say to his kids, you belong to me, you're mine, I'm your father. But in baptism, that same natural earthly father can also say to his children who have been baptized, but you also belong to your heavenly father. You belong to the Lord Jesus, you belong to the Holy Spirit. And you belong to God as truly as you belong to me. You are in his name as much as you are in the Gibson name, the Smith name, the Jones name. Do you know what else it lets a a human father do? Whether the father says this out loud or shows it through his love and care, it lets a human father say to his children, and your heavenly father will never, ever let you down. Your heavenly Father will never make mistakes like I do. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't grow frustrated. He'll never become impatient. That Father will say to you, because you are in his family, he will never, ever turn you away or kick you out. You're his. Look what the Lord Jesus says in verse 20, right at the end. Behold, I am with you always. Always. Some of you I know have seen adoption. You've experienced it perhaps yourself. You've watched others do it. It is the most stunningly beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? 
to watch a child bearing a new name that years ago they didn't have, to be, to be as equal an heir within that family as the blood-born children of mom and dad. The child is theirs. Oh, because you're in my family, you are with me to the very end of the age. It's true, isn't it, that some people change their names, don't they, eventually? They, for, for whatever reason, they, they change their name through deed poll. I didn't like that name. I don't know why my parents chose that name. Or, or, or the family name becomes associated with something so awful. I'm, I'm ashamed of that name. I'm scarred by it. I'm haunted by it. And I want to be free. I want a fresh start, a clean break. I want a, a new name, a new identity. Every single time we baptize a child or an adult, that is what we are doing, friends. We're saying to that precious person. Your family name is in the family tree of Adam. You have your parents here standing here beside you, mum and dad. You have your father's quirks. You have your mother's failings and foibles. They are stitched into your DNA, and you will have those things for life probably. And yet, in his grace, do you see why this is called a means of grace? In his grace, God reaches down into that natural family in the family of Adam and says, let me move you from there to here. Let me put you now in my family. With all your Adamic traits, let me say that you are mine. And it is the first step towards changing you and making you new. So here's the question. Why not just use words to say all of that? I I think if you went to the registry office to register uh, a new baby, there would be some strange looks if the registrar held out water to you in some way. Words are sufficient. Words are sufficient, aren't they, in the registry office? So, So why does God actually use water to do it? Why actually something physical that we can see and touch and feel? Why is it actually applied to the human body? When we have our next baptism, why not just have the parents up here with the infant or the teenager or adult who's being baptized? Why not just get them up here and say to them, we now transfer you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why not just use words? Well, here's where I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 17. Turn back just to that passage, please. And here's the second, the second thing to say. Number two, baptism is not just God's adoption policy. Number two, baptism is God's body language. Baptism is God's body language. It is a signpost ceremony. Baptism is a signpost ceremony. I wonder if you noticed as Will was reading this amazing passage, God speaking to Abraham, did you notice there are two words that come again and again through these verses, I will. I think you begin to notice it about verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish. I will give to you. I will be your God. I will be their God. Look, look what is right at the heart of what God is going to do. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
The covenant promises are all about relationship, aren't they? God is making a promise of relationship here. Yes, God is promising land. Yes, God is promising children. But at the heart of it all, the the heart of it all is relationship. I will be yours. And you will be mine. See the end of verse 8. I will be their God. Your children's God. What I am to you, Abraham, I promise I will be to your children. Now that's what God says. It's what he speaks. But what does he then tell Abraham to do? Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be a sign of that relationship. A sign of the covenant between me and you. So just keep putting the picture together in your mind. God speaks, yes, words. But then Abraham has to act. And what we learn is this. God speaks in body language. God speaks in body language. I remember reading a while ago that experts say that 50% of our communication comes through body language. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's quite low, isn't it? 50%. I'm sure it's much, much more than that. We all know what it's like, don't we? The roll of the eyes, the nervous glance, the lingering look. Think of the problems that you find yourself immersed in because of an email that you sent or that somebody else sent and there then had to be a face-to-face meeting to clear up the email that was sent. Think of how words on a page, even a telephone call, the, the words down the line, through the air, but divorced from the facial expressions, hand gestures, the smiling, the frowning, the posture. We read each other off our bodies, don't we? We communicate through our bodies. And the God who made the world to be like that knows, friends, that actions can speak louder than words. Actions can speak as clear as words or as strong as words. God uses body language. So you see, through the Bible, Genesis 17 onwards, through the Bible, circumcision, the the cutting away of the foreskin of the male reproductive organ. That, that, that is there to represent the cutting away of the hardness of heart. You can't really cut bits off your heart without there being a problem. So God uses a picture to show what it is like to cut away the hardness of your heart. I will be your God and you will be my people. And for that to happen, you need to believe my words. You need to, to trust me. You need to be clean on the inside. You need to have a new heart. So, so let me give you that in body language, God says. Cut something away from you. Get rid of it. Put it off you. So that you can hear me saying to you in body language, cut off your rebellion and your pride. That's how serious it is. Cut off your stubbornness. Cut off your lust and belong to me. The body language reinforces the message, doesn't it? Every single Israelite, male, child, or adult carries from Genesis 17 onwards, carries literally on their body God's promise. 
It is so much more memorable than words. Body language amplifies it, turns up the volume. The Israelite male knows for the rest of his life, my very own body is speaking to me. My very own body says to me, I am not my own, but belong to God. Now, some of us are thinking, yes, but what has that got to do with baptism? I want you just to turn forward to the New Testament to uh, one other passage, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, you'll find that on page 983. If you're using the church Bible, page 983. Uh, large print, large print, 1169. Colossians chapter 2, it's really verse 11 and 12 I want to look at, but let's read from verse 8. Paul says to the Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hand. So just notice straight away, circumcision is not finished for Christians. So clear, isn't it? Circumcision is not something that just exists in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. No, to these Colossian Christians, in him also, you were circumcised. But what kind of circumcision was it? You also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see what's happened here? Paul is saying to the Colossian Christians, now that the Lord Jesus has come, now that Christ is here, you, you Colossian believers, just like Abraham and his children, you too have been circumcised. Your sinful nature has been cut away from you. But look, he says, literally verse 11, it wasn't with a knife. When you were circumcised, it wasn't circumcision done by the hands of men on an operating table. No, this circumcision was done by Christ when you were baptized. See, if you look at verses 11 and 12 again, here's what they're saying. In Jesus you were circumcised having been baptized. Isn't that clear? Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. Just leave out the next bit, go straight to verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is now for us and for our children everything that circumcision was for Abraham and his children. Now that last sentence, friends, that is why we have next Sunday evening. Why do we baptize babies. Baptism is now for us and for our children everything that circumcision was for Abraham and his children. And I'm really aware, of course, that in a statement like that, of course, a million questions, hopefully questions, light bulbs maybe, but 
the question mark. I'd like to imagine it's appearing amongst, over some people's heads this evening. But what about this? What about that? So I'm going to take another run at it next week, specifically to try and defend that and to show that I think this is what the Bible teaches. We'll, we'll come to the baptism of children next week. The, the important thing to see here this evening is that this is why baptism is a signpost ceremony. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was, it was a pointer to the covenant. That the cut flesh in the body pointed to the need to have a cut heart before God. And when somebody is baptized, and anytime you see it happening, the, the church is gathering together and we are applying water to the body, not so that we can stand and stare at the beautiful little child or, or stare at the water or stare at the teenager or the adult who's being baptized. No, we, we gather together so that we can stare at what the water points to. The, the, the water is a signpost to the washing away of our sins. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. See, circumcision pointed forward to the life and death of the Lord Jesus, who would come and take away hearts of stone and in their place give hearts of flesh. Circumcision pointed forward. Baptism points back to the life and death of the Lord Jesus who has lived our life and died our death so that he could wash us clean by his blood. I wonder if you believe that this evening, that God's body language is very, very real. It's very real. Well, I want you just for a moment to imagine two young ladies and both of these young ladies, imagine them here in the Trinity family, and imagine that both of these young ladies each have a significant other in their lives. Two young men. Both young ladies are in, in love with these young men. And both these young men are talking about marriage to their respective girlfriends, each respective woman. Both these young men are making whispered promises in their ears, talking about lifelong commitment. These men treat their women the same in every respect apart from one. And it's body language. Only one of these men has given his woman a genuine sign of his love. For only one of these women is wearing a ring on her engagement finger. Both of these men have words. Yes, good, great. There has to be words. Words are needed. But one of these women has a sign on her body as well as the words that she's listening to in her ear. Does that matter? Does the sign make a difference, you might say? Well, how would you ever work that out? What's, what's the question to ask if the sign really matters? What would we say? Ask the woman who doesn't yet have a ring. Of course it matters, doesn't it? Love's body language is a ring. See, friends, the Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father, knows how weak we are. He knows how much we wonder and, and, and doubt His goodness so that we're often left scratching our heads and wondering where God is, wondering where His grace is in our lives. How do I know He's real? And so just like the engagement ring on a, on a finger or, or the wedding band on a finger, God gives His people literally tangible, touchable, physical expressions of the certainty of His promise. 
Listen to the words of the Heidelberg Catechism on Baptism. God wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ wash away our sins just as water washes away dirt from our own bodies. Okay, that's the picture. Just like water cleanses your body, the blood of Christ and the spirit of Christ wash away our sins in the same way. But, listen to this, more importantly, he wants to assure us by a divine pledge and sign that the washing away of our sins spiritually is as real as the physical washing with water. So the young lady gets up in the morning and she thinks to herself, did did last night really happen? Is everything he said true? Does he love me? And then she looks at her finger again and she sees the ring sparkling. Ah, yes, she says, I know, I remember, I, I feel it. I feel it. I know it. It's real. I, I want to ask you this evening, friends, did, did water ever touch your body in baptism? Has water been on your body? Maybe for some of us, Full immersion. You were right as under as you could possibly be in a tank or a river somewhere. And you came up covered in water. Others of you, you don't remember it at all, but water was poured on your body and you know it really happened. It's real. God's promised friend to be your God and to have you as his child, it is as real and as strong and as sure as when that water touched your body. Your body really, really was wet. The water really, really was cold. It was real. And so is his promise. So is his promise. I want to finish with this. Number three. God, baptism is God's gospel lesson. Baptism is God's gospel lesson. It is a life and death ceremony. Very briefly, just turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6. Just a couple more moments and and we're done looking at this. Baptism is God's adoption policy. It is God's body language. And let's finish with this. Baptism is God's gospel lesson. Romans chapter 6, page 942. Page 942, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's true, isn't it, that for most of us, most of the time, our baptisms are finished. It it happened when when we were an infant or when we were a teenager or some point in the past. Baptism is past. It's done. It's finished. It happened way back then, and here I am today living my Christian life now, trying to live for Christ. Baptism was a past event only. But, but look what Paul does here in these verses, friends. He, here he is faced with Christians in Rome who are getting their heads around the gospel, and they're saying to Paul, look, Paul, if grace is grace, I mean, if the gospel really, really is good news, and we're saved by grace alone, 
does that mean I can just do whatever I want? Is it really that good, that, that free, that true? I can do whatever I want? That's their question, isn't it, in verse 1? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul answers it by saying, how on earth can you think that? You've been baptized, haven't you? How can you do whatever you want? You belong to Jesus. How can you go on sinning? You belong to someone who died for sin. You want to keep on doing it? If we're dead to sin, how did that happen? When did your death to sin happen? I mean, I hope this evening you feel completely alive. I know it's hot, it's warm, some of us are struggling. But I hope you feel alive. We feel alive, don't we? Our hearts are beating. How and when did we get this dead person identity? Paul is very clear about what happened, isn't he? Verses 3 and 4, we got it when we were baptized into Christ's death. Verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death. I wonder if you've ever noticed this before about baptism. It's an astonishing thing to say, isn't it? I, I have never been to a baptism that is an unhappy occasion. They're always joyful, wonderful moments. Friends, family are all there together. I have never seen baptism as a sad moment. And yet, Paul is unambiguous here, isn't he? When someone is baptized, that baptism joins the person to Jesus' death. And it's because in the Bible, water is often just as much a symbol of death as it is of life. We drink water to live, but the Bible is full of water that floods and drowns and kills. Noah and the ark. Water is deadly. You can be submerged in water, killed in water. And you see, friends, whether it's a full immersion baptism or whether it's water pouring down on the head, we all know use enough of it and stay under it long enough and you will be dead. You see, baptism is a picture of dying with Jesus. Baptism is that moment when we publicly show to the world that we are joined to a person who died. How did we get that identity? The text is clear, isn't it? We got it by being baptized. Because baptism is a picture of one dead man sharing that death with his people. Some of you know the name of Matthew Henry. He was a famous Bible commentator in the 17th century. Let me finish by telling you about Matthew Henry. He said this. He said that the first thing he did when he saw his children misbehaving was to grab them by their what? I wonder as a parent what you'd like to grab your children by, what you reach for when they're misbehaving, when they're driving you up the walls. Their ears... Scruff of the neck, if you could. Matthew Henry said this, When I see my children in need, wandering from the right path, I grab them by their baptisms. I grab them by their baptisms. Isn't that what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 6? Baptism is a life and death ceremony. And when he sees Christians wandering off the path, he grabs them by their baptism. Hey, he says to them, you entered the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
Have you forgotten who you are? You are married to a dead man, to a living man. You are married to a man who died for sin. Why are you living in sin? You married a man who has been raised to life at your father's right hand. That, that is who you are. That is your life. I, I'm almost certain that the buffeting of life's up and ups and downs are seriously destabilizing some of us this evening. It's happening, isn't it? Of course it is. Pulling us off to the side. Maybe you're really aware that you are being pulled away from the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're beginning to make choices and take steps, relationships, your, your online life, your career choices. Things are pulling you away from the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you this evening, have you been baptized? If you have, then you have entered the death and life of the Lord Jesus. Martin Luther, when he battled spiritual depression... He did what many of us don't do anymore, but he did the right thing. He came back again and again to his baptism. And through the dark shroud of doubt and despair, to the devil who he believed was tempting him and assailing him, Martin Luther would shout out, I have been baptized. I have been baptized. Do you know what he was doing? He was preaching the gospel to himself. He was saying out loud who he was in the world. God has adopted me. I am his child. God has put his signposts in the world pointing to the death of the Lord Jesus. And Martin Luther said, I am touching the sign, looking to where it points. God has put me into Jesus. That's what baptism is. And so all that is his is mine. Amen.